0: welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now, this episode is brought to you by the Eating Disorder Therapist Book Club. Now, if you'd like to join the book club, you get extra podcast episodes every month. You get a supportive Facebook group, which you can join with others. And we have been reading Amy Harmon's Perfectly Imperfect, Compassionate Strategies to Cultivate a Positive Body Image. And we are moving on in the next week or so to I Can't Stop Eating by Sarah Dozange. So I hope that you will join us and it is only five pounds a month. That's the equivalent of seven USA dollars. More info in the show notes, click on the link there and it will take you through. So today I'm thrilled to have Emmy Brunner on the podcast. Now I've known Emmy in the eating disorder space, but I haven't actually ever spoken to her properly until today. Amy is a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, personal empowerment and transformation coach, author and speaker with over 20 years of experience. She founded the Recover Clinic in 2005 as she wanted to build a community that offered comprehensive treatment packages for the sufferers of trauma, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, anxiety, depression and personality disorders. She dreamt of a holistic treatment model that considered the whole person, body, mind, and spirit, including all elements of lifestyle. And the Recover Clinic now offers a program both within the clinic and via an international online service that embodies just this. It emphasizes the therapeutic relationship and uses both conventional clinical treatments and alternative therapies. Emmy also offers one-to-one coaching. She has a successful eight-week online program called From Lost to the River, and she is author of the wonderful book, Find Your True Voice, which is now available from all major booksellers. You can also follow Emmy on Instagram, details in the show notes for more healing and self-development content. Now, Emmy is also a die-hard Bruce Springsteen fan. She lives in Brighton with her husband, Tom and her daughters, Dixie and River. She loves sushi, all things French, and has a penchant Perhaps hats. So really excited to be speaking to Emmy today. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Emmy, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, so Emmy, could you introduce yourself, please, and to the listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm Emmy Brunner. Um, I'm an author and uh, CEO of the Recover Clinic, um, which is a eating disorders and trauma-focused outpatient service. Um, I founded that 17 years ago, um, and my work has been since devoted to supporting people and helping them develop ways of healing.
0: Oh, okay. no, Brilliant, Emmy. So it, it's lovely to have you on, actually, because I feel as though um, although this is the first time I've ever properly spoken to you, um, I feel like I've kind of known of you for a long time and you know, just been aware that I think, you know, we both sort of went into this kind of work sort of perhaps in our twenties and have been um perhaps on a similar paths, although we've never met. hmm Yeah. Sure. So, Emmy, um, could you just share a little bit about um your own story and how you came to sort of do this work?
1: Yeah, so I um I had lots of trauma growing up um, and didn't really have any sort of strategies to cope with that or to really have any insight into it or know how to process it. And so I developed a number of just quite destructive coping tools to try and manage, including eating disorder behaviours. And what I came to learn through my own healing journey was that actually in order to be able to fully recover, which is completely possible, you need to develop new tools. And that actually an eating disorder or self-harm behaviours or anxiety or responses to trauma. And that actually that needs to be the focus of treatment rather than trying to wrestle and manage the symptoms. It needs to be focused much more on kind of a core healing um, and that became the focus of my work and motivated me then to go on and become a clinician and to train. And I think initially I was also still very codependent and <clears throat> quite entrenched in some rescuer behaviours. Um, and so that framed some of my choices early on as well. But as you know, uh, since have done a lot of work on healing those different behaviours as well and relationship dynamics which were challenging for me and yeah and here i am Mm, okay well thank you for
0: sharing that um um, and it sounds like it's been a a real journey hasn't it but i think so um hopeful and inspirational for people listening that actually um as as i recognize myself like a, a full recovery is absolutely possible
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a real narrative around any sort of mental health issue or certainly eating disorders, that this is something that you'll have to live with for a lifetime and just best manage. And that's just not the case at all, much of what believe is reflected in our reality. And so it's really important for people to start to shift that perspective and to really understand that actually you can fully recover. It's just a question of learning how. And so part of the work that we do in clinic and what motivated me to write um, Find Your True Voice, which is my book, is to give people tools so that people actually understand what it is that they need to do to be able to start that healing journey. Mm. Yeah, no, sure. Well, it'd be
0: great. I mean, just to talk a bit more about your book, um, because of, um, uh, you know, I, I love actually just what, what I've read of your book. I have to confess, I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've had quite a good look through it, and um, I love the way actually that you have really combined um, dealing with the trauma work, but also and um, giving lots, giving lots of kind of active tools, and also kind of combining sort of spirituality and. Um, some coaching as well. I, I, I really like that kind of whole holistic approach that you have taken, um, you know, with, with your um, book.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me that mental health treatment is such a privilege for people. If you can't afford to pay for treatment privately, then the chances are you're not going to be able to access anything, you know, uh, like what you might maybe need. Um, So part of the motivation for writing the book was just to try and reach as many people as possible with the insights that I've got, both from a clinical perspective, but also that I've gathered on my own personal journey as well. so I was really determined in the book to try and be as helpful as possible and to give people tangible things that they could do and input into their lives to create the shifts that they that they need and also just to help people see what's really possible. So many of us have and certainly me had such low expectations of what actually might be possible um, and it's incredible when you start to do this work how kind of wider your horizons come the more well you become. Um mm. oh. so Emmy with the book is this something
0: as well have you been has this book been within you for a long time you know like had you been wanting to write it for a long time or you know what was that sort of process like of um kind of getting it out of your head onto the pages
1: i think for me like because of setting up clinic and uh, the recover clinic and that being so well established for such a long time now i think i just I really made it a part of my job to listen to the clients and really pay attention to what was working for them and what wasn't. And so the treatment there has evolved massively over the years. And in and in that time, it became, I guess, the the book was sort of sat there in my head as a sort of how to heal, how to recover. And I guess how, how did that become an actual tangible thing? I was approached by Penguin who asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book. And I'd already collected sort of years of notes and ideas and different bits and pieces and insights that I gained from clients. There's, there's some case studies there from my clients that I've seen over the years because I just felt that their voices really needed to be heard as well. And so, I guess then, yeah, just sitting down and putting it all together was certainly a process, but it was really amazing. I really loved it. It really reminded me of how far I've come. It really reminded me of the journey that's possible for people who are still struggling out there as well. Mm. Sure. Okay. And, Emmy, one thing I love that you say in the book quite early
0: on is that, um, you know, I think when sometimes people come into therapy or starting to work on their recovery, um, you know, that, you know, they're going along to that one hour session a week. And, yeah. um, you know, you know, and they're kind of hoping in a way that that session is going to transform and, you know, make everything different, which hopefully it's going to have quite an impact. But can you just say a bit more about the fact that it's almost a bit of a kind of life overhaul in terms of how you're approaching everything? It's not just about that kind of the sort of treatment bits.
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, what takes us into the therapy room is the the area of our life that's making the most noise. So eating disorders get a lot of attention because they are persistently in our heads, criticizing everything that we do, how we look. Um, and obviously food is such a big part of our lives. So they, it really does eclipse everything else. But when we take a step back, we can see that This unwell voice is showing up in lots of areas of our lives. So it can be not just criticizing our relationship with food and causing us to develop some very destructive behaviors, but it can be really undermining how we show up at work or academically. Or it could be really making it difficult for us to function in relationships, to be intimate with people, to be vulnerable with people. And so sometimes when we focus in on the food, it's almost like the eating disorder gets all the attention and and who we are gets missed. And that's, I think, part of the problem with treatment around eating disorders is it it does just become all about the food. And that's already part of the problem. So it kind of perpetuates it. And I think people then end up feeling very unseen and unheard. So I think part of it is becoming fully conscious in all areas of your life and recognizing where that unwellness that comes from a story that you have come to learn about yourself, a story that you tell yourself about who you are and your place in the world. And it's that story that is the problem and the core of the problem, rather than the symptoms of an eating disorder or a self-harm behaviour or something else that's making a lot of noise. It's that that internal sense of bound shame that people are living with that needs to be challenged and healed. Mm,
0: Yeah, and I'm so with you there because I think... The symptoms are often like the tip of the iceberg, aren't they? Of often a very deep iceberg, which is kind of complex and encompasses so many different life areas.
1: Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. And but I think for for so many of us, I certainly felt that that just was the problem.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think, like you're saying as well, I think, um, you know, I think it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think you know, I work part time in an NHS service, and you know, under resourced, limited. Um, you know, always we're always kind of like um, struggling with our resources and what we can offer people. And you know, more, more of the research is often kind of um, that's available, kind of supports um, more symptom-based approaches like cognitive behavior therapy or something, which you know, obviously it has a place, but um, it's yeah, it doesn't often get to the kind of root of the problem. And um, you know, yeah. that kind of deep work is, is essential, isn't it? And I think you know, I definitely speak for myself. Um, but I think as well, just what you said about people not even being aware of what's, you know, I guess using my words here, but under the under that tip of the iceberg, um, because I think it when you're sort of starving or binging or if you're in disorder, eating behaviours, the symptoms are so kind of loud and preoccupying, aren't they? It's hard to see the kind of the wood for the trees, really. And yeah, and, yeah you even okay. kind of get beneath those layers. Um, it's and, really hard. Uh, mm, um, yeah. And I guess it needs, I'm just thinking from my, very much my own journey as well. You, you kind of just need some time as well for that, don't you? It's not something that can be rushed, really. It's um, chipping away bit by bit.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And I think it does take time. But I think people don't, aren't informed. They don't know. And that's why I think, again, writing the book, but also a big part of why psychoeducation is such a big part of clinic. Um, CBT is impactful. Um, mm. It does It does have an impact, but actually, if you look at the long-term statistics, most people who have CBT, and I'm talking over 90%, have to return to some sort of longer-term psychotherapy to resolve issues. What you see with CBT is a slight um, improvement in symptoms, but it's a short-term intervention, and I think that's partly why it gets the you know, support that it does on the NHS. And... As you say, the NHS is sadly just so overstretched and under-resourced and continues to be under-resourced by the current government and not given the the funding that it needs to implement longer-term strategies to help people to heal. The programs that we offer at my clinic are are long-term. They're interventions that are lasting sort of 12 to 18 months for people. But what you're seeing then are successful outcomes, over 90% sustained recovery from all symptoms, not just eating symptoms, depression, anxiety, self-harm. So it's not a transference of trading one set of symptoms for another. And if you're somebody who's wrestled with an eating disorder, you'll probably be very familiar with when the eating disorder is a bit better, there'll be other symptoms that are a lot worse. And it's because we still haven't developed those tools for coping and that needs to be the focus of treatment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely with you there. And can you just say a little bit more about your programs um, that you offer at the Recover Clinic, um, Emmy?
1: Yeah, they're, so they're completely um, personalised. They're based on a much more holistic view of a person and 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 of a person. So who is this person? What's their name? Where did they grow up? Who you know? What do they like? What do they not like? Like really getting to know a person um, and helping them to begin to identify and strengthen an identity that is separate from their eating disorder behaviours. You know, if people describing somebody with an eating disorder as an, anorexic or um, a bulimic is is so strange to me that you would refer to somebody in that way to make them the illness. Letting somebody know that actually they're suffering with eating disorder symptoms that can be diminished over time with strategies and tools and insight is a far more empowering place to start. And that's really what the focus of the the program is. It's about empowerment. We're teaching people how to reconnect to themselves. We're teaching people how to connect with maybe their sexual self for the first time Mm -hmm. or in a way that's non-destructive. We're helping people to connect with their creative self. So really thinking about your creative voice, how is that being expressed? Basically, just giving you more joy in your life. It's so joyless living with an eating disorder and it, and it is depressing. And I know that sounds silly, but it is just miserable. So helping people to connect through relationship and being in relationship and celebrating who you are as a person and the gifts that you have is all part of that that journey. So that's really the the focus of the treatment. Mm, yeah
0: sure i know it's wonderful to hear and um, that's just that sort of holistic approach and and i think just very powerful as well this whole thing about identity because i think that's where people get very stuck sometimes isn't it as well as being labeled as you know like you're saying the anorexic or a bulimic and it becomes very limiting and you can feel so hopeless can't you and helpless
1: yeah in terms of finding a way out I do. I think so many of the sufferers that I've worked with just feel so hopeless, or as if things can't change. So it really is important to inspire hope in people when they're in that place. One of the things that I found as well over the years, and particularly with women, is when you put us in a room together, we talk, and um. through talking and communication, we begin to heal, and we are unearth that shame and recognise connection. Between Mm. us all, I have an amazing Facebook community called Rise Up, um, Reframe and Rise Up. And the connections that those women make and the support that they offer to one another is so profoundly healing. I can't tell you. They're, they're really amazing and they're sharing stories. They're cheerleading each other. They're just supporting each other in the most beautiful ways. And all of that contributes to their healing. And it's a big part of what we do in clinic as well.
0: Mm. Oh, it's wonderful to hear. So, Emmy, could you say a little bit more about um, trauma? And I'm thinking, you know, obviously, you know, if we've experienced trauma in whatever form that is, and then and then we kind of develop this sort of unwell voice, this way that we look at the world, where we talk to ourselves, the way we kind of believe, you know, the the way we interact with our relationships. And I'm just thinking, um, it's quite a common thing as well that people might come into clinic and say, um, you know, I, I didn't have any trauma. My, my childhood was, was fine. Um, you know, and, and I guess, you know, you know, for some people, um, obviously they have been through something that's really intense or horrible, or, you know, there's been ongoing abuse or, you know, things have happened to them. Mm-hmm. But, but other people, I guess. Can you just talk a bit about more the kind of perhaps the drip, drip, more form of trauma that is sometimes overlooked? I think in our culture. Um, I think. uh, Sorry.
1: Sorry. So basically, people, everybody has trauma because we all experience trauma as. The nature of being human beings. Trauma is any event or experience that you've been through that has been distressing to you in some way. And we've all had those. So the examples you gave, sometimes we can easily identify traumas when there seems to be a clear boundary that's been crossed in an abuse situation or a violence uh, situation. And it's easier for us to be able to identify those traumas. Some traumas though are more covert and harder for us to be able to easily identify. That could be the withdrawal of affection from a parent or a caretaker that could be being bullied at school that could be moving moving as a child can be quite traumatic for young people Mm -hmm. from one area to another so the starting point isn't you know, do I or do I not have trauma? The starting point is I have trauma. What are my tools that I have in place to cope with that? So what do I do to nurture myself and take care of myself when challenging things happen to me? Because they do, they happen to all of us. And so it's reframing and redefining what trauma means for people so that they have a better understanding really of their experiences. The other thing is a lot of the people that I work with will minimise traumas that they've experienced so they, they can identify, things that are difficult but they minimize them and they deny the kind of their experience of them and that can either be because their experience was denied by a caregiver or parent growing up or it could be that that unwell voice has become so entrenched that it just really doesn't allow for you to offer any kind of compassion towards yourself and so difficult experiences are minimized and part of treatment is about validating you and your experiences so for somebody like myself or yourself to um sit in a space with you hold that space for you and to validate your experiences and that in itself can be profoundly healing for people Okay, oh, thank you
0: for explaining that um I, I really love the way actually that you talk about that um i think it's just really really helpful mm-hmm. One thing else, um, also that I love in your book, Emmy, is um, that you really hold a sense of hope for people that recovery is possible um, and also, you know, offering tools, looking forward to the future. Um, Can you say just a little bit more about, about some of those tools and kind of holding that hope for people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. I think one of the, the biggest barriers we have with people who particularly have been well, unwell for a long time is that they really don't have any hope and they feel as though things are um, pointless and that actually things will never change for them. So it's really, really important to challenge that narrative and just remembering that that is just a story that we're telling ourselves. And part of focusing on the future, focusing on what you really want, in your life rather than what you don't want in your life is really key in being able to shift that perspective and begin to install some hope within your life. Because when we're focused entirely on what we don't want, that's what we're attracting more of into our lives. That's what's getting all of our focus, all of our attention. When we can shift our focus onto what we want, what we need more, of in our lives, then that's what we begin to attract in. So it's a really, it's very sort of basic, but it takes a bit of mind training to just remind yourself to shift your focus and your gaze away from what you don't want and onto what you do. And what would you say for
0: anyone listening who just feels like in a really dark place and and would find that really challenging, where do you think, what's the first baby step to to walking that
1: road? Accept that it's possible. Even if you can't imagine it right now, even if um, it seems so far out of reach from where you are right now, what if it's possible? What Mm. if there is a chance that I'm right and that voice in your head's wrong? What if that's possible? And most people can get to that point of going, okay, it's possible. And then they'll normally say, but it's not possible for me. And I'm like, hang on, it's possible. Let's just start from that point. So of course, it's difficult to get to a place when you're in a very low place to imagine that things can be different. But if we carry on doing what we've always done, we're going to get the same outcomes. So it's just creating a shift, just giving yourself permission to try something different because you've got nothing to lose. And if you're right and nothing changes, then we we can try, but things do change and you won't look back.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's so helpful. Um, and it sounds like I'm just kind of like <laughs> I'm this image of like a little bit of light kind of getting through the edge of the door almost, isn't it? Kind of like yeah, realizing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And Emmy, you are a big sort of um, advocate as well of using gratitude. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think again it focusing on what we want rather than what we don't want you know when we're in a dark place we're so often focused on um what we're resisting and what what the lack in our lives and obviously when we do that when we spend our time thinking about those things it makes us feel rubbish and perpetuates a kind of really negative sense of ourselves and the world around us so when we can start to focus on the things that we feel grateful for and there will be things that we can all find to feel grateful for it starts to shift that energy flow a bit and we can start to feel a little bit better and ultimately that's what we're trying to do we're trying to feel better so if we've got some free and accessible tools to begin to facilitate that shift we want to use them and gratitude is a very easy one to pick to be able to shift that energy straight away and our focus straight away beginning to focus on what we want what we're grateful for um and welcome more of that into our lives yeah and they're so valuable because i think as
0: well when we're expressing gratitude in a way we can't be simultaneously being grateful and having some of those and the unwell voice being as loud you know the gratitude is going to isn't it? Really helps yeah. us help us shift.
1: Yeah. And if you think about that on voice, it really does have to be um so heavily repetitive and focused on the same things in order for it to remain established and strong as soon as you start to rather than battling with that unwell voice or reasoning with it or negotiating with it or trying to placate it if you can just identify as the unwell voice and focus all of your attention on nurturing a more compassionate internal narrative then that's when you'll find that energy again starts to shift Mm.
0: so what are some ways as well that people can really just start to kind of nurture themselves more and to begin to be um kinder to themselves and more self-caring.
1: You can put in some little like um behaviors that you want to see quite often we try and climb mountains with this stuff and find it very difficult. So just putting in small goals each week to increase your self-care and that could be something just little that you focus on whether it's going to bed slightly earlier or getting in a 5-minute meditation whatever you feel is reasonable. But set yourself things that you think are going to be achievable. Don't set yourself targets that already feel out of reach. And then writing something like a gratitude list can be a really nice way of shifting that energy, focusing on what you want rather than what you don't want. I love vision boards. They're quite difficult to do in the early days of recovery because we find it difficult to... And visualize things that we want and give ourselves permission to entertain a different life but it's still worth doing beginning the process of just creating images and collecting scenes of things that you would like to see uh, manifested in your life it can be really helpful
0: mm. and do you have any advice for people in terms of doing their vision boards like do you like because i guess you can do it online can't you or you can do one like literally cutting out um pictures and things like do you have any sort of like And it's golden times.
1: If you yeah, try and do it online if you can, because when you're looking through magazines or things, A, it's an expensive way of doing it, but also you're limited by what's being presented to you. The glory of the internet is that you can seek out just about anything that you want. So getting on the internet and dragging images from the internet into a Word document. And then printing that off is the best place to start and the easiest way of doing it. Um, And just give yourself permission. I think it's nice to carve up your vision board into different sections. So maybe one for personal development, one for travel, one for maybe material things that you want to manifest. Just give yourself permission though, to dream big, as big as you can. Um, And always write the date on the back of your vision boards because they'll change. As you begin to heal, the vision board will change and shift. And what was possible in your imagination day one, two, three is going to be wildly different, you know, a year down the line. So I keep all my vision boards and I put the dates on the back of them because I love looking back and seeing how I've achieved things that I've wanted for myself. Mm. It's just quite a satisfying process.
0: Yeah, and no, they're really satisfying. So would you say as well, like, you know, just on a personal level, would you sort of recreate a vision board maybe once a year or something?
1: Or yeah. So I've got one that I'm working on at the moment. Um that's it's quite massive now so my vision board started off quite small and they're quite big so I've got one that I'm working on at the moment and I'll just keep developing it and then I'll have that probably yeah that will probably be in my office for maybe a year and then I'll re take it down and redo it it needs to stay fresh and you need to feel continually inspired by it and when anything's in our sort of line of sight for too long we can become it can become a bit invisible to us so it's really important to keep on keeping it fresh Hmm.
0: Sure. And it sounds like as well, like although you produced it online, you've then printed it out and then it's sort of in your space so you can regularly yeah. see it and connect with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really important to have it as a physical object. Hmm.
0: Sure, I think it's such a great tool. Actually, I find even just talking about vision boards, I can just feel my energy <laughs> lifting. With like, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyone it. listening? Such a great tool. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Um, okay, Emmy. So, do you have anything as well that's coming up? that you want to sort of like mention to anyone or would you like to sort of just say anything more about your you've got a, an online course as well or an online group as well is it that you run yeah i health?
1: have um, i run um a, a course called from lost to the river which is uh, an eight-week program um that's running again in october so if you want to join the facebook group the so reframe and rise up group you'll be kept up to date with all the information about that and that's an amazing course that's really transformative for people uh, obviously if you want advice about an eating disorder you're considering treatment and of course you can get advice from the recover clinic um our phone lines are manned by qualified clinicians who will give you free advice should you need it and um and then you can also i i a lot of free advice and guidance on Instagram as well. So if you want to put questions in or you're curious about something, then you can always submit a question there and it will get answered. We answer everything. Just sometimes can take us a little bit of time. And that's Emmy Brunner Official. And of course, you can buy the book, which is Find Your True Voice. And that's available at Waterstones, Hive. Um, I don't know if you've got any international listeners, but it's available in Blackwells in the US and Canada as well. -hmm
0: sure well I think I know that um definitely many of my followers on Instagram have mentioned your book and have found it really really helpful um so yeah and and we do have a lot of international listeners so um yeah spread the word I think you know more and more people that can get your book in their hands the better Sure. Okay. Uh, and what's your website, um, Emmy? As well for, um, I mean, I'll put all this in the show notes. But if people just want, if they're listening now yeah. and just want to look it up,
1: the recover clinic is therecoverclinic.co.uk. Um, treatment um, at the clinic is available in London and surrounding areas, but it's available internationally as well because we have an online program. Or you can find me at Emmy Brunner official. Oh, no, sorry. No, that's my Instagram, emmybrunner.com. And at emmybrunner.com, you'll get all the information about the courses that we run. I do offer one-to-one coaching, but I have a quite a long waiting list at the moment. But you're always welcome to sign up for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for sharing
1: that, Emmy. You're so welcome.
0: Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for um, you know talking about the valuable work you do, um, You know, really um, just very inspiring and um, hopeful and encouraging and I know um, you know the listeners are going to get so much value from this.
1: Yeah thank you so much for having me it's been really lovely. So I hope you enjoyed this
0: conversation just as much as I did and do go and check out all of Emmy's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already do seek me out on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist and for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you're interested in joining the book club, do check out the details in the show notes. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.